going to be talking about breastfeeding. And the last time I did a breastfeeding class, there was probably a majority of the dads in the room who were acting like 15-year-olds. And I get it. You know, the United States is a place where breastfeeding is not comfortably dealt with in all contexts where there are women and children. On the other hand, we have indecent exposure in every avenue of media that now we don't even register it in our brain because it's so common. You think about, I mean, like, I have slides that I decided not to put them in of an advertisement for a chandelier with the naked body of a woman in a silhouette there. You know, partly it's lit up. And blue jeans and beer and all this other stuff that extreme amounts of skin are shown in their advertisements. And people feeding their babies, people are like, she's breastfeeding. You know, and get, people get uncomfortable. So I'm calling you guys to just step up from junior high into husband and now into dad and deal with we need to learn about doing breastfeeding. And I know it's not the baby going to your breast. Okay? And <laughs> well, it's like my husband's attitude toward delivery of our first child. It's like, my job is to be in the waiting room playing poker with my friends. I'm like, no, no, that's not it. Um, and he came around. He's now a big advocate for dad being involved is a really good thing. But anyway, it is a tricky subject to talk about breastfeeding. And I'm going to show you even some video clips of babies breastfeeding because it's hugely important to start recognizing, is this baby somewhere in the vicinity of the breast moving their lips or is the baby drinking milk? That makes a big difference on survival for your child. So I want to equip especially the dads because just as we go forward, let's look at the new mom. The gal that you married, when she gets this baby, is likely to be pretty focused. Like that blue and yellow picture at the top is sort of hunched over and all absorbed in that baby. And even the one that's the photograph of the mom is like she's all about protecting and providing for and sort of worrying about and much more likely to be talking to herself with negative self-talk of like, I must be doing something wrong. Um, You know, there's that uh, proverb about better to um, cross a mama bear with her cubs than a fool in his folly. The mama bear might come out of mama where she is like a little touchy about is everything okay with this baby. So there's just a whole set of characteristics that might be evident in that new mom. Not to mention the fact that um, there's a whole lot of information to absorb after the baby some of it conflicting, lots of interruptions, in it, whether it's hospital room or home, um, <clears throat> some conflicting instructions, some lack of sleep, some pain, some hormonal shift from pregnant to not pregnant, and it is not going to be her best moment of dealing with information, whether it's using what she already has, taking in new information, or retaining anything that someone has said. So I feel like it's pretty essential for dads to have a clue of what's going on. And truly, you're the one who's next to her at 2 a.m. And it's not staff person. It's not a lactation person. It's not a breastfeeding teacher. So it is sort of an, um, a big deal that dad learns a bit about what's going on. This is survival of your little person. Um, And you think about the dependence of an infant. Like we said, what can he do by himself? Well, he can make diapers. And he can sleep. And he'll sleep when he wants to sleep, not necessarily when you want him to sleep. 
he can eat what's brought to him easily. You know, if he finds that breastfeeding is easy, he can eat, or bottle feeding, he can eat, usually. Some babies even have trouble with that. He can't feed himself. He can't change himself. He can't comfort himself. He can't protect himself. He can't provide for himself. He can't move from one place to another by himself. All that is, you know, he's totally dependent. And this is the fragile new life that needs to be protected and needs to grow to get to a, a point of survival. You know, our country has a moderate survival rate, but still, babies are vulnerable. I've been dependent on you since birth. From the time I came out of my mother's womb, you have been my God. And some of it depends on God. So it's sometimes hard for a new mom even to go to sleep because she's worried that if she doesn't watch the baby, he might stop breathing. Well, she's not going to cause the baby to breathe, but she wants to be alert to whether anything's going on wrong. And ultimately, you have to sort of leave that in God's hands to take care of. Another thing about babies is they want to eat a lot. They, after, you know, sometimes the first day that's sleepy, there's a frequency of feeding. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You think about the feeding part of that newborn babe that as he's born, sometimes you'll start seeing them search for something with their mouth like, Ah, well, their mouth is their exploration thing. Like a lot of your sonograms are going to show, they're playing with their mouth anyway. Um, And he's never tasted food before. He's tasted a little bit of maybe, maybe he had taste, maybe he didn't, of the, the amniotic fluid. And yet he comes out and he's looking for something. And God designed that appetite. And he's designed you with a need, similar to this baby, a need for his Intake from what he provides for you. So God has given you that appetite and he's got the thing that satisfies it and God's provided for what satisfies this baby. And it's going to be a much more vivid picture for each of you all in a few months when you see the way a baby is asking for food. Um, An amazing thing about the food provided through the mom's body, human milk for human babies, is um, its uh, characteristics. And... um, It says of God that you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And God has designed perfect food. And these little test tubes are um, colostrum that's made in the first few days. Small amounts, but very rich in protein. Um, It's like, you know, anybody a runner in here that when you've run long distances, you might have had something that was a concentrated food source to give you a little more energy. That's similar to the colostrum. Small amounts for the first few days that they would have a little bit at a time, but it gives them a boost on energy. Um, Then the next two, four milk and high milk, that's characteristic when mom's fully producing a milk supply. The fuller the breast is, it's more like skim milk, and the more empty the breast, it gets more rich and creamy. The baby needs water, and he needs calories, and he's going to get both when he nurses well. He'll get both of those. Different parts of the day, the composition of how much it's, Um, skim milk, how much it's cream change. Different moms with different storage capacities will offer different proportions of how much of the skim, how much of the cream. Um, A mother who delivers her baby early, the, uh, what is it, carbohydrate, fat, and protein is in a slightly different proportion because of her delivering before term. So her body automatically makes something adjusted to sort of pick up where the placenta left off, depending on if you have a baby at 30 weeks versus 40 weeks. 
it even changes like if mom is leaving the baby with um, a caregiver and the caregiver has a cold but mom exposes herself to the caregiver her body starts making antibodies and it comes in the milk for the baby or mom gets flu and her body is fighting it off the baby gets something to help um, protect him against it so it's a pretty phenomenal dynamic and changing kind of food changing from the morning to the evening it can be richer in the evening so baby can tuck away more um, calories with less volume it can be higher in volume in the morning so baby gets a bunch of hydration in the morning um, has live cells in it that eat uh, bacteria live white cells it's almost like a blood transfusion in some aspects so it's a pretty phenomenal deal and this picture of the baby here is a preterm baby he's getting fed with the the feeding tube in his nose because he can't do the work of eating yet and he's skin to skin on I guess it's I think it might be a dad's chest if I did the um, look at the whole picture where he's enjoying just being next to the heartbeat and rhythm of breathing, the temperature of a um, of a parent, and they've even shown you know like the weather maps that sort of are green, red, yellow kind of things. An adult chest will warm up a baby that's cool. They can do a thermal map of it, and it will be warmer if the baby needs it warmer. So your body is an excellent environment for a lot of reasons for baby. Warming, stabilizing heartbeat, stabilizing um, respiratory rate. But that's especially important if a baby happens to come early. He's supposed to be sitting inside right next to a person just taking in calories and growing. And so when it's possible for them to have that contact with mom or dad, it's very therapeutic for especially an early baby. But it can calm a regular um, term baby too. When we think about getting started with breastfeeding, um, if you can keep in mind we want to start it early and exclusively only and often, skin to skin helps, having the baby with you helps. The less separations the better. That's going to help baby figure out what he's doing, going to help mom get more comfortable with the baby. and. Being with mom is going to help mom's body respond quicker to bring the milk supply in. Hand expression is something that um, a lot of times um, will help bring colostrum to the front of the breast. If baby's having a little trouble getting himself attached and getting colostrum, think about that thick stuff, more like nectar or honey. A pump or the baby might have trouble just pulling it out with a vacuum pressure, but mom can do some hand expression and help it work to the front, just drips into a spoon. Just a, like a teaspoonful or a quarter of a teaspoonful might be the amount a baby needs every few hours of the colostrum because it's small amounts at the beginning. And there's a technique for hand expression on a little video um, online at newborns.stanford.edu. You don't have to write it down because your last page has that at the bottom. Um, and um, learning the hunger cues of what language does your baby show when they're acting hungry. Um, pretty clearly those are going to deal usually with the mouth. A screaming baby hopefully before he's gotten to the point of screaming has shown you something of working up to it that's like hands in the mouth or bobbing head like where is something to eat or sweeping the landscape trying to find it. I mean it's like a bobblehead for some of them or the whole fist can I get my whole fist in the mouth or just smacking away with their lips and tongue but something that you'll start picking up on of he looks like maybe he's hungry and some people will overuse or abuse a pacifier and every time there's something going on with the mouth they pop that in and truly this little new life needs to figure out how to eat.
So that's one of the reasons where you'll hear people say, avoid the pacifier for a bit. If you have a baby that is prone to go totally ballistic or completely shut down, sometimes using something to suck on, a finger, clean finger or a pacifier to calm them and then say, we're going to eat now, is a tool. But in general, when they're acting like they want something in their mouth, they're at a cooperative point of learning the important and survival skill of eating. Um, and the first days can be way more of a practice session of how to eat, not like they go get on the breast and come away and look like, oh, I'm so full. I'll see you again in three or four hours. That's not really likely in the first couple of days. One, they don't know what they're doing. So it'd be like sending a one-and-a-half-year-old on an Easter egg hunt and expecting them to come back with a full basket. You know, it's not going to happen. And two, they'll get better. They're going to learn what they do. And two, mom's making very small amounts at first. So it's more of a practice session. And I think God does that because he doesn't want a little person who's never figured out how to do attachment and suck, swallow, breathe with some kind of sequence so that they're not breathing in the milk he doesn't want to expose them to Niagara Falls on day one you know he they get to practice get some nice rich reward but it's not going to overwhelm them which is one thing that when you choose to do bottle feeding I don't really think that they're intended to have a full bottle on day one their stomach hasn't gone there yet you know it may have had little bits of, of amniotic fluid in it but you think about if you've had two or three days of being at home with the flu, you don't that next morning go to Denny's for the Grand Slam. You know, it's like, oh, just not ready for it. And you don't want to overstretch to where they think that's what I normally need to get to is like way overstretched. So small amounts make sense the first few days. Okay, they could fuss or they could sleep when they're hungry. Um, a hearty and healthy baby might just very well stomp his feet and get mad and tell you, pay attention to me because I want to eat now. And yet a little one who's running way low on food can be like a car running out of gas. And they're like, I don't think I have energy to tell them about it. You know, so some babies who sleep a lot need to be pushed to eat. Um, so they could fuss or sleep when hungry. But that's just sort of your first first day and the first day when mom delivers that baby unless there's been an extreme situation at birth the baby has arrived in the world with a very nice nutritional status because the body from mom has taken care of bringing nutrition to them every minute until that cord was cut so often in the first day they don't act radically hungry they might practice at the breast happily but whether they get something or not they're not truly hungry yet you know they're still pretty good from from the lovely place they came from. Um, so that, that's your first day. All right. We move to the second day, and baby can wake up, start acting a little hungrier, and you start taking note of, like, are we seeing some output, some wets and dirty diapers, and how's their weight doing? Have they lost an extreme amount of weight since their birth weight or not? Are they starting to get jaundiced? Can you see a difference in color on those two? The top one is a little pinker and the bottom one is a little yellower. So jaundice has to do with breakdown of extra blood cells that they needed in utero because they weren't breathing themselves. They were taking oxygen from mom's blood. They needed a few extra carriers of that oxygen. Now they're breaking them down and the byproducts um, cause jaundice. And their body is going to get rid of it and slough it off 
with pooping and peeing, mostly pooping, if they're doing that well. And some people where mom and dad have different blood types or mom and baby have different blood types, the babies are a bit more at risk for more of the jaundice. A lot of babies are going to have some of it, and we are pretty careful in all the hospitals watching the levels of jaundice to see if they get too high. So they're going to check it, and they're going to check it, and they're going to check it like every 24 hours. And more so, if it's looking high, they'll send a blood test and verify was our screening test that's just done with a little light meter, was that accurate or not? Because they don't want it to get to a high-risk zone. But bottom line is, eating helps jaundice. And so um, diaper output, the weight, and the jaundice level of the baby sort of are indicators of what's our nutritional status and and stability of the baby. And then is the baby fussy or sleepy? Um, If the baby's not asking to eat and not having a lot of success eating in day one and two or even towards the third day, it could be a great thing that mom's doing some hand expression and maybe even adding in some pumping. Ideally, it's nice and simple and baby's just going to the breast. But there's backup things to do if they're not. Um, And around day three and four, most moms see the milk come in. So the baby needs to practice before then and get colostrum before then, but then her body starts making larger quantities, and babies are very happy about that. To get the quantities of milk um, or even the small quantities of colostrum, it's a really important thing that mom and baby get a comfortable position, the baby gets a good secure latch where he's attached enough to find the pipeline of milk, and that he transfers the milk. Okay, so your next handout is called the latest in latch. It has diagrams of a mom holding a baby and a baby approaching the breast. Um, And on the back of it, uh, the breastfeeding evaluation and then the breastfeeding made simple is the next page. So there's three little things about the the, um, breastfeeding. But remember, for mom figuring out how to do breastfeeding, that... It's far easier if you've grown up around something to move into it. She grew up seeing mom cook, maybe. Maybe she didn't. Maybe her mom didn't cook. Um, but a lot of women in the United States don't grow up, and as a toddler get to see some, you know, the women in their family feeding, and they play with their dolls and say, well, when it's my baby, I can do this. Oftentimes you arrive with a baby in your arms, and you're like, this doesn't feel natural. I've never seen it, and I've never done it. And it's real awkward feeling if you've never been around other people feeding um, their babies at the breast. So that's one reason to go to a La Leche League meeting is that those moms, if they see a pregnant mom walk in, they're like, oh, come see the earliest baby we've got here tonight and just watch and see how it's done. See how she's holding the baby. See what she's doing to help the baby. Because it is a handicap to never have seen it. You know, that I totally get it when moms that I visit in the hospital are like, really don't feel very comfortable with this. I'm like, I understand. You haven't, you know, you've all of a sudden been put in the position of something that you've never seen done. Um, I don't know. Maybe some of you guys did get to see it, and it's a comfortable thing. I've seen families in the hospital where it was like 10 visitors and a mom, completely comfortable breastfeeding, although it was adult men and women, because it was obviously something that's just, that's what her family does. And then I see moms who don't even want lactation to come in and help her. You know, it's a big spectrum of comfort level on that. Um, okay, position, if we can think about mom getting comfortable, so it's sort of her oxygen mask first. If she's, okay, the most uncomfortable woman I ever saw breastfeeding was a re- medical resident. And she was like this, straining. And I said, could I help you get more comfortable? And she said, no. I'm like, okay. That's fine. 
But you can't, you can't maintain a real uncomfortable position for very long, you know, or you're going to start aching. So actually, mom, having some kind of back support and um, pillow support as needed, and it's going to change a little bit based on... Do we have a 10-pounder or a 5-pounder? Um, did mom have a C-section or not? Does mom have A-size or double D-size? You know, it's a variable. It's what position you can get comfortable in. And staff can certainly help with that. Or dad might be the one who says, you look like maybe you're hunched up or you're leaning over. Or, um, you know, just notice where she's a little bit stiff. That can make a big difference. The baby will need support. Um, Moms who have um, breastfed before often just sort of lay the baby on their arm in that traditional Madonna hold and bring the baby near the breast, and they're just sort of saying, okay, do it now, you know, or they're trying to push the nipple in, but this is not a stiff nipple, just this is. The bottle could get pushed in, but the breast can't. Um, the baby learning how to breastfeed often does better if he has some support and some guidance to say, here's where you're going and here's where you're not going. Um, so the, the support for the baby and the baby feeling secure, that's in there because I've seen moms who are all about forcing the baby and the breast together and the rest of the baby's body is like, I think I'm going to fall off. you know. And he's going to act better if he feels like he's snugged into mom. Okay? Chin forward, okay. Um, chin forward, how do I want to show you that? The chin forward, one of the things about that is when the chin's forward, then the nose is not smushed into the breast. Okay, big difference there, and mom's going to be a lot less comfortable if the baby's coming in like that. And if the baby's coming down on the breast, the nose is probably going in, and the chin won't touch. Does that make sense? Okay, think about... If you're going to get your mouth around a great burger, where's your favorite place? Bobby's is Mooyah. Okay. They, they make their own buns. They're really good. Okay. I don't try smushing the meat into my lips. You know? I actually tip the meat away from me, open wide. I place it on the lower lip first and I come around. Right? That works pretty good with the breast. Okay? So if we can help baby come near the breast and they'll often open their mouth wider if it's not smack dab right there. They're like, what's that? But if they're having to go find it, they'll often open wider. When they open wide, that you place the lower lip on and just roll them. I'm going to do it better with my hand. Roll them into it like you do the burger. Okay? Lip below the nipple. Okay, here's You'll see this in the next one. And waiting for the baby to have a really nice wide open mouth, not trying to force it in when they're just sort of like exploring where they are with their lips, but they're not opening. You'll see a glint in their eye of like, I'm serious and I'm going for it now. And you want to wait for that, that really big I'm ready mouth. Okay. This is awesome. It's at the Nasher Sculpture Garden. And when you think about it, it's not equal movement from your mouth. It's not top and bottom both moving. The top is part of your skull, and the jaw moves, just like it shows in the sculpture. So if you think about power from the baby coming from the jaw, the mother who puts the breast into baby's mouth down to the lower lip, and baby takes a large amount, but it's from the top, power's landing right here. It's real sensitive right there. It's even more sensitive in your first days after delivery. And there's not that much milk to be had by a baby pressing on the nipple. 
The milk's back in the back of that, okay? So if baby opens wide and mom purposely puts the jaw below the nipple and baby manages to get on the top, the jaw pressure squeezes in the milk area. It's not on the nipple. It doesn't feel bad to mom, and the baby effectively finds milk. So there's a lot to be said for finding the right latch. If you have a barracuda baby with the strength of an ultra deluxe vacuum cleaner and he in labor and delivery comes on that breast and goes to town mom could have a sore nipple so that when the baby goes on even in the right location it's already a bit tender when baby draws it back into his mouth it's going to hurt for a moment but it shouldn't break down unless you've let baby really suck on the nipple itself a whole lot Okay, if the baby gets the breast in his mouth, it shouldn't break the skin down. Okay, some women have a folding model nipple, and a lot of that nipple doesn't see the light of day. And when it comes out to be breastfed on, it's more tender tissue and it's going to be a little sore longer. But most babies can deal with that. And that's something you can talk to me privately later about or talk to your OB about and say, Am I going to have things that are difficult just anatomy-wise, you know? But um, it's usually something that the baby can deal with, not a big problem. Okay, here's your hamburger, cheeseburger. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Do you love that? Psalm 81. Just didn't know that, you know, latch on breastfeeding was in the Bible, but it is. I'm the Lord, your God, the one who brought you out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. That's wait for the gape. Okay. Then when we think about position of mom being comfortable, position of the baby being secure, the latch is important. And then it's not just... Is he latched well? But is he transferring milk from mom to him? Because a baby could be at the breast for 45 minutes and come away hungry pretty easily. It's has he figured out how to find the milk and is he swallowing it that's going to really make a difference. Um, So if he's latched well, it should be pretty comfortable for mom and baby. And you should see some indication of swallowing that he did find the milk flow and that he's transferred enough. Not just he swallowed for five minutes and then he quit. And he might quit not because he's full, but because he's tired. He worked real hard, only got a little bit, and finally decided, I think I'm spending more calories than I'm getting back, and that's not good for my survival. So he quits, you know. It gets better because he's going to learn more of what he's doing and get better at it, and mom's going to make more milk. But think about, have any of you all skied? I did once upon a time. And in the first days of going as a beginner, two hours on the bunny slope, I was wiped for the day. You know, it was a new activity and it was exhausting. And when I got better at it, I could go all day. And at the end of the day, it's like, what are we doing tonight? You know, that's the baby. It's, he's going to be more tired by a brand new activity he's not figured out very well than one he's doing real well. And the time that he takes to get a nice feeding will go down. So it could be a longer feeding in the early weeks and much, much more effective later. Um, but as we're figuring out how much is being transferred, the difference between sucking, sucking only, or some people call it pacifier sucking or flutter sucking, they're not purposely using you as a pacifier. And staff says that to people fairly often, or friends do, yeah. Uh, I was just going to ask if that's like a legitimate It is. It's a great one. In fact, um, Robin Rice tells me I changed her life by showing her nursing lying down. But it's not an easy one to learn latching from. 
because you have so little visibility of what the baby's doing. Okay, if, the, if you're lying down and the baby's down here, it's just really hard to see. So when you can pretty consistently tell when the baby's latched well, and baby's doing a lot of it themselves, you're not having to do a lot of help, lying down's lovely because hormones can make you sleepy, and you're going to feed at night, you're going to feed at nap time, and being able to lie there, feed the baby, rest while he's feeding, you know, switch him to the other side, and then we put the baby back up full, and you go right back to sleep, it's awesome. So very legitimate and a good position to pursue, but not necessarily your best learning position. Okay? All right, so we're watching a little video clip, and what I want you to see is, can we tell when the baby is swallowing versus sucking? Wait for him to open nice and wide, and then there we go. On his back. Okay, now it could be, a, let's let him come off, because I wasn't as good as it could have been, and he says also. So running it off slowly. And deeper from the back and squeeze the breath. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze as it comes on. So it's not my hands in there, but your hands. Nice drinking already. When he found what he wanted, he, he changed. You can see how the chin drops down and pauses. There. There's a Okay. So a couple things. That baby needed a couple of times to try to figure out, did I hit a spot that I like being on? And then when he did, it's like, okay, I like being here. Then he had to practice just a little bit before mom started releasing some milk. And they were also having mom do what we call breast compression, to squeeze a little at the back to increase milk flow, to, to help the baby start getting that milk flow. You can't do a great big squeeze and a death grip that you never let loose of. It's more of a squeeze for a moment and relax, let it refill. Squeeze for a moment, relax, let it refill. And you don't want to disturb a baby that's latched well, so you're doing it from the back of the breast. That's breast compression. Okay? And then we're looking for a baby to get to satisfied. It's sort of hard to see that in day one and two. They might, they might get enough colostrum, depending on the mom and how much she's had the baby with her and how much colostrum she's making to come away and look like, huh, it was a good meal. But definitely day three, four, five, six, seven, we're looking for a baby who's gotten enough that they're like, that was nice. I'm good for a little while. Um, and so when you have the reluctant eater, skin to skin really helps milk supply and helps the baby. Um, and hand expression is, is real good. And um, we think about amounts that babies take. Day one, six milliliters um, is about their stomach capacity. So that's like, oh, a quarter of a teaspoon. Um, day two, maybe a half a teaspoon per feeding, but it's frequent. Day three or four, the milk comes in, might, might have... Mother might have some engorgement or filling up where it's not just milk. It's not a water balloon that's all milk, and she should deliver all of a sudden an 8-ounce bottle. A lot's going on in her breast of the glandular tissue, so there's some extra blood flow. There's tissue swelling, but she's making more milk when the breasts start feeling fuller. Um, and then by day five, she, the baby's taking around two to three ounces of feeding, um, and it's real important as mom starts to make, mom's body starts to make milk that the milk gets removed. Because if the milk is not removed, the body gets the message of 
this isn't needed. You need to drop that. Forget it. Um, <clears throat> stomach capacity on the baby is like a shooter marble on day one, a ping pong ball on day three, a chicken egg on day ten. And the adult capacity is about a softball. Well, you can tell we definitely overfill our stomachs sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I know we eat more than a softball sometimes. But that's about just stomach capacity. And that's one reason for the frequency of feedings. If you think about a marble size, he's going to take that in, he's going to digest it, and he's going to come back. And that's sort of the way they need to eat. My dad was a pediatric surgeon, and he looked at a newborn's day like each eight hours was about equivalent to an adult day. You know, two to three feedings in each eight hours. Because that's just as fast as their metabolism is going. And if you guys have friends with babies, you can see the rate of growth is phenomenal. And when you get your newborn and compare it to someone else's three-month-old, you'll go, oh my goodness, there is so much growth and change going on. So they do that by eating very often. Okay, we're going to look at what goes in must come out. But what goes in... Eight or more feedings, 8 to 12 in 24 hours. We're looking for a baby who's interested in eating. Even if they're sort of sleepy when you unwrap them, they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. I do want to eat. You don't want a baby who's just like, too much work, can't do it, you know, and is just almost refusing to eat. Um, you want to hear them swallow, not just suck, 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 suck. And the difference, um, and there's one more um, clip in here that you'll see a baby swallowing, but there's a difference between Suck, 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 suck. It looks the same all the time. A drink looks like... Mm, mm. It's a drawing back. It's, it's deeper. And it might be gather that thick colostrum two or three times, swallow it. Gather, 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 drink. But you can watch the baby's jaw and see differences of is it always the same or sometimes it looks like an extra big drawing back. Um... Swallowing herd and some looking for contentment and trying to discern, are you just worn out from trying or did you get something and you look pretty happy now? Um, let's see. Um, what goes in must come out. Grandma just got squirted on. I thought that was a pretty funny photo. It's all up on her sleeve. Okay. Um, counting the number of diapers is a lot actually easier than counting the number of feedings because some feedings you won't know. Is it a new one or a continuation of an old one? But just slash down, okay, we were feeding at this time of the day. Um, but by day five, we want to see about four stools. Like It's about one wet and one stool per day of age for the first four days. So day two, two wets, two stools. And you'll have, um, you'll have uh, charts on that probably on the hospital information that they give you. Um, but the stool changes from the really dark stuff. Somebody was talking about meconium at first, real dark glue-like poop that comes out in the first day. Changes to yellow when they're metabolizing mom's milk. And we were looking for three to four stools every 24 hours during the first six weeks. And six wets, more is fine every 24 hours that's clear or very pale in color, okay? Um, we're wanting to see for a baby to thrive that they're eating frequently and effectively, and that's going to mean that there's good milk supply. Um, frequency, think about um, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, and if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Um, the idea of regulating and holding back from babies in the first weeks 
is not real good. I know that some programs say you need to get the routine started right off the bat, but how would you feel if I told you guys that it's um, 12 minutes before 3 and you can't take your water bottle until it's 3 o'clock? It's not realistic, you know, all the time to say it's always by the clock. And if you want to get to a two-week checkup and a two-month checkup where your baby's gaining and thriving and mom has a great milk supply, Frequency is necessary and flexibility is necessary. So to start day one saying, I will deal with this baby only every three hours and he can be crying in the nursery aside from that, is a way to have a low milk supply and a baby not gaining or choosing to just do formula. It's not a great way to get breastfeeding off the ground. Um, So that's a good thing to think about is that two-week goal of if it takes frequency to get to thriving, Milk supply and thriving baby at two weeks, let's do it. It's really well invested time because to reach two weeks and not be there, you've got a big hole to climb out of, a baby failing to gain weight and a mom not making the milk. And milk supply is like stocking the grocery store shelves. The more that the product is flying off the shelf, somebody has to order more. When it's sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, the order gets canceled. So... Lack of stimulation and milk stasis and increased pressure in the breast, decreased milk supply, frequent and effective removal makes more milk. And there's a a relationship between mom and baby where she needs the emptying and he needs the filling. Sometimes it will wake her up before the baby even wakes up. But her body is going to talk to her about, oh, I need my partner because I'm getting uncomfortable and can't sleep anyway. Um, So that's sort of about that verse of could a mom forget the baby? Well, maybe a human mom could, but God is not going to forget you. So the accessibility and availability of mom and baby being sleepy or awake, the length and quality of the feeding, how long the feeding is, but the quality more so, um, and, and how frequent it is in the day, and the position and latch. The baby's stamina, so a preterm baby wouldn't have the same stamina as a 40-week baby and baby's maturity level, and then how much mom's supply is. Okay, now another clip that shows a baby really gulping the milk. Okay. That's it. It's artistic. Lovely. Look at all that drinking. There's something that nothing to compare with. Okay. Showing you the real thing instead of the counterfeit. There is a clip online, but I couldn't get it, of the baby who's just barely at the breast. Those are are good feedings. Okay. You're going to look for help if the baby is hard to rouse, sleepy and rarely hungry, persistently fussy, lack of stooling and wetting, never satisfied, not gaining weight, or mom having persistent pain in breast or nipples. And when it hits a point where it's difficult, feeding the baby is number one. However it happens, whether it's breast milk or formula, whether it's at the breast or with the bottle, you can't deprive the baby of the nourishment. So when things get hard, feed the baby is important. And protecting the milk supply. So if there was a problem going on that baby's not taking milk from mom, for her to keep making milk well, she needs to probably be pumping. And then getting assistance to help correct the difficulties. In this chart, you see at the beginning, breastfeeding is harder, but it gets easier. 
formula learning is a little bit of an issue at the beginning just to figure out all that you're going to do to deal with the formula in the bottles, but then it stays the same. And there is a point at time when breastfeeding is infinitely easier than the formula feeding. Um, it definitely often calls for extra support or something mechanical when not necessarily when there's a c-section that might take a little bit more careful positioning but an early baby a jaundice baby a baby in the NICU a large weight loss or a delayed supply would be times when sometimes moms are going to be doing pumping and nursing and bottling um, support it's not helpful for people to be rigid I've seen families writing down the exact number of minutes that baby were on the breast and stressing everybody out with it. And so a lot of rigidity isn't good. Just sort of keeping an idea of what's going on is helpful. Um, distractions, like people having lots of conversations when someone's trying to give mom some information, it, she's not going to remember most of it in the very best circumstances. So when there's a lot going on, she's certainly not going to hear what's being said. Aloofness or criticism, don't you love the mother-in-law picture? Um, and suggestions come through as criticism and blame. So really approaching it like I think what Callie and, and um, Ryan were talking about, just this is a team effort. And noticing is she uncomfortable? What can you do to support her wrist or her back or her elbow? Is she hungry or thirsty? Can you bring her some water or food? Is she tense? Can you help her get a better position or rub her shoulders or feet or guide her privacy or her sleep time? Is she frustrated? Can you encourage her or hug her or show her what she's doing well? Is she ready to quit? You know, can you tell her, we're going to work through this and I'm going to support you whatever? Quickly on bottle feeding, um, some people um, are on such a determined schedule about bottle feeding that I've seen them wake a sleepy baby shove this in and say you're eating now and it really should be in response to some hunger too and if you're going to do the sleep feed wake thing that's okay but give the baby five minutes to wake up he will start going hmm hmm and then he'll invite that bottle in you know that's just if any of you have dealt or been to um, things about eating disorders have you heard the eat when hungry stop when full idea Give the baby a chance to recognize when they're hungry and when they're full. If there's a jaundiced baby who's not eating appropriately, you're going to be a little more aggressive to help them eat. But a healthy baby should be allowed to say, please, I'd like something to eat, instead of having it shoved in their face. Okay? I have a little personal problem on that one. Uh, baby a little bit upright and the bottle more horizontal means that he can choose how fast he takes it. A bottle can drip pretty fast, and if they're underneath it, it's dripping at the back of their throat whether they swallow or not, so they darn well better swallow, and it'd be hard to take a break. And it's normal that they drink for a little bit, three, four, five times, and pause for a breath, drink a little bit, pause a little bit, and you give them a little bit better chance to do that if the bottle is not dripping at the back of them. Does that make sense? Um, Switching sides can make a difference because they're working the eye muscles a little differently from one side to the other. Um, and then watching a response like every now and then taking the bottle out and saying, did you hit contentment yet? Are you comfortably full? Or they're like, ha, I'm just barely getting started. Please bring me more. So some idea 
from the baby of when they got to comfortably full. And it can take them a little bit of delay to recognize that. So you might pause for a minute, do a burp, and just wait and see what kind of signs am I seeing. Is the baby like all about please more or they're starting to, to wind down? So you're looking for just getting them satiated but not stuffed. Um, formula, you've got to look at expiration dates. When you like mix it up, powder or the concentrated, or open up the ready-to-feed, it's good for 48 hours in the refrigerator or two hours at room temperature. You're not going to reuse breast milk or formula once it's been part of a feeding. That residual has to get tossed. And the microwave makes hot spots and it sort of messes with the nutrition. So you could heat water in the microwave and put the bottle in something warm, but don't microwave the bottle. Um, And switching formulas is better to discuss with your pediatrician. Okay, some resources. Um, The podcasts on the Parents Channel at Watermark are excellent. Square One has been mentioned that newborns at Stanford has a perfect latch video, ABCs of breastfeeding, hand expression, and a maximizing milk um, production video that's about excellent pump technique. And then the Kelly Mom site has all sorts of stuff and links to other things. Um, So that is that. And we've got five minutes left. So instead of doing our scenarios, I would just want to take questions. You ready to go? Yes. Let's start with Paul. How... How soon after delivery should we take our newborn to for a checkup pediatrician? Uh, most pediatricians are going to want to see the baby about day four or five when the jaundice levels usually peak to see if there's is that a risk zone. Okay. So you usually stay in the hospital about four days for a C-section. You might go back on day five or six because you've been checked on day four. But two days from a vaginal delivery, you probably go in about day four. Okay. And then again, usually at two weeks. Sooner if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good idea. Mm-hmm. That was when to see the pediatrician. Was that one? Yeah. Uh, when would you start? When to do pumping? If there's no problems, let breastfeeding settle into place for several weeks. You know, if you had six weeks off and you could let breastfeeding just get really established nicely for three weeks and then begin pumping once a day to just get used to the process because you're still going to be nursing the baby all day and you don't want to tell your body to be making twice as much as it needs, but you will want to start putting a little bit away. But for a mom going back to work, you don't need two weeks worth of milk in the refrigerator because what you pump on Monday he should be taking on Tuesday and by, like you're replacing sort of daily the feedings that you're missing. Okay? Yeah. Is there any way to That's a good point. The mastitis is when the milk sits still in um, the breast for very long, it actually irritates the inside tissues of the breast. So an area of the breast that wasn't draining well, um, especially when mom like that's part of the dad uh, chart that we haven't looked at, but it's in your, your thing. When mom starts doing a lot more activity and might get overtired and she has missed a few feedings, you're sort of like stepping into higher probability of mastitis. So careful attention to frequency that you're not going too long in between feedings. And a mom getting to know just like when baby's nursing, are there any areas that are feeling lumpy and blocked? You can gently work those areas so that mechanically you keep it from backing up. 
um, the mastitis thing, if it's gotten so irritated that it's now turned into an infection, mom's body starts feeling like feverish and flu-like. It's not just in the breast now. It's sort of affected all of her. And that's a point where you call the OB and say, I'm probably going to need antibiotics. Um, but, but frequency of removal and sort of knowing your body helps you not go there. Mm-hmm. If you have it frequently, there's a, a nutritional supplement that helps prevent it. So that'd be another place to just call someone with lactation and say, here's what I'm dealing with. Yes? When's baby full? Um, the baby will generally step away from the breast when they've had enough, with exceptions. Um, first days, it might be they step away from the breast because they're just tired of trying and they didn't find anything. But a baby nursing well often will just sort of step away from the table and go, hmm. Now, if they bring a burp up or they just finish the first side, they might need five or ten minutes to settle, bring the burp up, and then they're like, let's go back and have a little bit more. So you watch and see, are they trending towards more being settled or are they trending towards they're acting hungrier, hungrier? And when you're doing the burp, if they're right up next to you, they might act totally settled and you think, finally, we're all going to nap. And when you put that baby down, they're like, oh, no, I'm still hungry. <laughs> so it's not a bad thing to, after side one, to put the baby on your lap, give him a moment of separation from you and just see, do we see any more hunger cues happening? And then say, good. You're, well, you know, When they're looking like they're ready to open their mouth anyway, let's go to side two. And you don't have to always do side one, side two. Sometimes it's one-sided feeding. Sometimes you're going to go back and forth more than once. It, it can be flexible. Alternate which one's first because you're always going to do a first side. Mm-hmm. Yes? Uh, um, you probably are going to end up getting some samples because it's a really big money maker and all the pharmacy companies want you to be their customer. Um, but if you go home, you probably would have some clue that something's going well or not well. And you probably, even if you didn't go home with anything, there's 24-hour places that someone could get something if you had to. But the first thing you do if you felt like this baby is really undernourished and needs something to eat, you see what can mom get from mom. Okay? Maybe it's a matter of the baby can't get transferred, but mom's making it. So the first thing to do is see with pumping or hand expressing, can mom get something extra that she takes to the baby that baby didn't have to go get? So it, no, you don't have to have formula. You don't even have to have a pump, you know, because a lot of those things you can deal with as they come up. Because you could do hand expression if you were at home, if you had to get a little bit into the baby. Yeah. Totally you can breastfeed, and it's probably good that you do, rather than expose them to something new that they might get an allergy from. Um, you don't have to drink milk to breastfeed. Eat well. Don't listen to people saying you can't eat this and you can't eat this because mom truly needs some good nutrition. And food issues with babies are lower on the list for things that we look at as a problem. But if you already know there's something, you would be avoiding it anyway. But if it's like on dad's side, let's say dad has a peanut allergy or something that somebody carries an EpiPen for that's in the close family, maybe you just sort of say, we're not going to have that for a little bit. But, but don't strain yourself of limiting your diet unless someone is medically, you know, already identified with something. Yes. 
you don't know when you're going to have the baby. So you set your appointment up when you're getting ready to go home. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the things that at Presbyterian where they won't discharge you until you've made the call and you can tell the nurse, well, my appointment is at 10 o'clock on Tuesday or whatever. It's a good question. Um, I'd say that the norm for a human baby is to get human milk. Okay? It's perfectly designed and made and it cannot be duplicated because they don't know the recipe and they couldn't get the ingredients exact. You know? So that's the norm. And formula is adequate for nutrition and babies growing. Um, If at all possible, I think it's an awesome thing that babies can nurse at the breast and get mom's milk, really exclusively for six months. But realistically, there's going to be times when a breastfeeding mom would pump and leave a bottle for someone to give. And there's sometimes times when there's an inadequate amount that mom is going to want to use something else. And in our country, we've got safe water and safe storage. So our babies do pretty good on formula. If we were promoting formula in Africa where there's not clean water and not safe storage, we're sort of signing a death certificate for a baby. Or at least asking for severe dysentery, you know, digestive issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would think about what's the best nutrition for mom. Your body is prioritizing the vulnerable new life of the baby. So the milk that you make is likely to be top-notch nutritionist, nutritious, but it depletes you. And so for you to have energy, especially when you're not getting a lot of sleep, eating smart is one thing you can control and do well. Okay? So nutrition for mom, eat smart. You know, like you would for if you were an athlete. One more question, then we gotta wrap it up. I'm happy to stay for however long people have questions. Yes. There are points in time when for mom to for for mom to pump, get it to the bottle, you know, store it in the fridge, warm it up, get it to dad, dad feed the baby is a whole lot more steps than just mom feeds the baby. And dad could do other ways to help because there's a whole household, a whole family dynamic, you know, a whole lot for him, for you, other things, and a lot of other needs besides food that a baby has. So there's a lot of other ways to be involved. It, don't, don't focus on only the feeding. But there's also times when, like, feeding's difficult, and truly it's a help for dad to feed the baby. Mom can pump in 15 minutes and go to sleep, and it takes longer to feed the baby, that might be helpful. Okay, So that's something flexible, but don't immediately say, okay, for Dad to bond with this baby, I've got to pump and do the bottle. He's going to probably figure out a lot of different ways to snuggle and interact with that baby that are apart from the feeding. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll be around for questions however long you want.